Well, uh, good morning, everybody. I wonder what sort of week you've had. What sort of week have you had? Hmm. Well, if you were to ask me that question, to be honest, it was a week that I was very, very apprehensive about because I knew my diary was very full. And the time that I needed to prepare for things was going to get more compressed than I like. And, you know, I would be going from one thing to another much more than I like to do. Sometimes, for no particular reason, all of our diaries might get like that. If I was selling kitchens, of course, I'd be delighted. But in ministry, that isn't always a good tempo to keep for long, although sometimes it's tough to avoid. So on Monday morning with a friend, I prayed that during the week there'd be moments of grace when I would get a bit more help than I was expecting or a bit more understanding than the situation might have merited, that God might also strengthen me at times when I felt a bit low on resources. I guess we've all had times when we've needed to say a prayer like that for ourselves or for others. And what happened as a result of that prayer And during the week is something that I'll share with you later on at the end of my talk. Not to keep you in suspense, but because that's where it fits. Because I learned a lot about what it is to be a community in Christ. Because our passage today is all about how we live together as Christians. And Paul lays down a challenge in it to the recipients of his letter, to put off their old ways and take on the new. And his tone in this part of the letter is particularly insistent, urgent, and persuasive. And his remedies are very directive. Paul is not messing about. One of the reasons that Ephesians, that letter, is one of the most preached upon is that Paul wasn't addressing a specific problem in a church 2,000 years ago that somehow lost its relevance over time. No, he was speaking generally to a group of new Christians from all backgrounds who simply wanted to know more about what it is to follow Jesus. And that's why we can read it today as a really useful guide And we can look clearly for the things that still apply to us today. And we're going to do that in three sections this morning. What it was that Paul uh, was asking the Ephesians and is asking us by inference to put off and to put on. How we do that in the second. And finally, what it might look like to live in this new way. Ourselves, individually and crucially for us as a church. And if you want to follow my odd references, they're on page 1175, of course, the passage in the Bible. So let me begin by putting things off. I wonder if you ever put things off. Most of us do. Phone calls we'd rather not make, repair or cleaning jobs that mount up until they become urgent, filing that becomes a pile that needs addressing. I, funnily enough, put off completing my tax return, but always bring forward a meeting with a friend for a drink on a warm summer evening. It's funny that, isn't it? It seems to me a lot of human behavior is explained by bringing forward pleasure and deferring pain. And if that's you too, 
you may be delighted to hear that Paul's challenge to us today is all about putting things off because we're good at that. That's one we can rise to. It's there in verse 22. Put off your old self. But of course, Paul means it very differently. He's talking about putting things off in the sense that a caterpillar might shed its skin as it transforms and leaves that old skin behind. Or when we have left school, how our uniform is put in the cupboard for the last time or goes to the second-hand sale, symbolizing our move from the things of childhood to the world of the grown-up. So what is it, this skin that he's asking the Ephesians to put off, to shed once and for all? Well, it's there in verses 17 to 19. It's a kind of way of thinking and being that he attributes to the pagans. They've got hard hearts towards God. That's the heart of the problem, if you like. Hard hearts towards God. And that means they're ignorant of him. They don't know him. They're separate from him. They lose sensitivity and care for each other and instead pursue their own sensual and uh, pleasures at the expense of others. It begins with the hard heart that leads to an ignorance of God and selfish behavior. Well, we've all come across people who put themselves first. We might work with them, drive on the same roads as them, read their boasts. We might sometimes be them. We all still have moments, of course. But in biblical and the most fundamental terms, it's a bit like the story of Adam. Man and womankind's basic instinct, not to please God, but to please ourselves. And Paul says, put that off. That hard heart to him, that selfishness, that departure from the things of God, deceitfulness, impure thoughts, dark desire, greed. Put those things off. Leave them behind you like the caterpillar leaves that skin. But what to put in its place? This is a negative message that tells us just what not to do. Leaving us stark naked. Not at all. Let me say something about what we are to put on. Let me begin with a couple of examples. Well, the highlight of my week was actually yesterday when I conducted a wedding ceremony in this church for Sophie Bodger, Peter and Prue's daughter, together with Rupert Osborne. Now, I don't know whether you know them or not, perhaps many of you don't, but Sophie and Rupert are a wonderful couple, and they're all loved up, and others would be better qualified than I am to talk about these things, but she did wear a wonderful traditional white wedding gown, which was more than pretty, more than special, but was also reminded me what a wonderful symbol that is of one of life's most important transitions, putting on our best for each other and our best for God. Symbols of purity, readiness. Life for Rupert and Sophie as a married couple will now be new. And as a church, most of us put something on from time to time. We might put on a badge at the beginning of the 9.30 service, to signify that we're a member of the welcome team. And in this way, for that time, we represent church and God even to visitors. If you're a visitor, incidentally, by the way, today, I hope you do feel welcome. 
So we might put on a badge. During our working lives, we might put on, I don't know, a um, police uniform or a catering apron or, apron or a waitrose shirt. In that way, we step into our role for eight hours or until our shift ends. And people, when they see that, will expect that they'll be able to report something to us or get served a decent meal by us or at least know where we'll, uh, be able to find out where the bananas are kept. We're in a role for that time. Now, Paul is speaking about putting something on, not to represent something or be in a working role, but as a means of transforming ourselves. So in verses 20 to 24, he doesn't leave us naked. He says, put on the new self. Receive the news of Jesus. You have been taught the truth about him. Your minds are renewed. Your new self is to be put on. A kind of godliness will grow in you. Don't be like Adam, Paul is saying. Be like Jesus. Put on him. Put on his love of others. Put on a new way of life. Put on holiness. Put on doing the right thing before God and with each other. Put on his way of thinking about things, his worldview, his perspective. Shed the old, put on the new. It's no coincidence that last Sunday here, a session was held on the difficult topic of depression and the Christian faith. If you weren't able to be there, the talk which was given by Philip Fleming and Phil Ferreira Lay is well worth listening to on our website. No coincidence, because we're trying as a church to look at that and other difficult topics through the eyes of those who have put on the new self. Seeking Jesus Christ's mind on the things that matter. Depression's one thing, of course. Equally, we can all seek to put on the mind of Christ when we consider things that matter to all of us. Debt. Income distribution, work-life balance, raising children. Later I'll explore a bit more about what Paul says about what it is to live in this new self. Because it goes way beyond merely what we think about things. But brings together what we believe and how we behave to one another. Let me move on. If you're here today, incidentally, and you're not a Christian, then you know, God wants to renew you. He wants you to be one of those that put off the old self and put on the new. He wants to renew your minds and have you think and live as he does. That's his bold plan for you. If you're here today and you are a Christian, are you living like one? Are you living in the new self? Have you taken off the old, buried it, burned it, and made a switch from which there is no turning back? That is Paul's challenge to the Ephesian church and his challenge to us individually and as Claygate Church. Verse 17, he insists. Paul describes the new self. And if we think of the new self as a set of clothes for a moment, 
He presents no case for putting it back on the shelf because the color doesn't match our eyes. Or trying it on for size and finding it pinches at the waist. Or thinking we might come back to it later when we've got a bit more time. Now Paul says effectively, take it to the checkout. Take it to the checkout. Put on the new self. Those old clothes, that old self, discard them. You're new. Walk in the new self. And yet, and yet, you know, God didn't make us to be robots. He created us in his image. And that means we're free. We're free to model or to show his love as Jesus did. Or free to rebel as Adam did. But let's be clear. Together we can either be a part of making this world, broken as it is, a place of reconciliation that work for peace and justice, or we can stick our heads in the sand and follow the God of self. We can worship God together in the joy of his spirit, or we can destroy other people's thirst for God with cynicism and deceit. So individually, we need to go to the checkout. We can't stand forever in our old selves, holding up the new self to the light and seeing whether we like it. And as a church, we can't stand still either. We have to cross the line of the new selves and be prepared to live in the new. When Paul addressed his letter to the Ephesians, he wrote it to the saints and the faithful of the church in Ephesus. He's writing to people that have already been to the checkout, committed themselves, but are still finding out what it is to really live in the new self. They're on a journey, but that journey has begun. And there is no turning back. Of course, as Christians, as a church, our transformation is not complete until Jesus makes it so at the fulfillment. But transformation must be the road we're on. Have Catherine Simon been to the checkout? I think so. Have we gone to the checkout? Have we begun? Have we begun the road from which there's no turning back? If that seems like a big question, and it is, it's a big question for all of us. It is the question that Paul sets out in this passage. And whatever your answer to that question today, we can consider next. What might it, what is it like to live in the new? Now that's my final section now living in the new, and that contains principally our lessons for how we behave to each other in the new self. What is it like to live individually and as a church in these new selves? I mean, how very different is it to just being decent to each other in typical Surrey style? Well, in these verses, 25 to 32, Paul gives his instructions 
for Christian living. And all of them are positioned in terms of our actions and their impact on others. So this is not just about our individual moral righteousness, but our impact on the community of which we're a part. In other words, the body of Christ. You see, when we put on the new self, we're no longer just an island seeking our own ends, but part of an integrated whole that's linked together, and we are one link in a chain. So, when we speak, when we speak to one another, we do so in a way that will strengthen the chain, not weaken it. That means being honest, firstly, but I've come across so many people for whom being honest is just an excuse or a code for feeling at liberty to hurt someone else. Paul writes, say, that, say only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Always build others up. Can you imagine if when we were preparing to speak in our daily lives, our filter was always, is what I'm about to say going to build this other person up? Every coffee time on a Sunday after church would be a wave of positivity in Christ that would lead us feeling, leave us feeling more committed to him and to each other and put a spring in our step. Or maybe when we do have legitimate complaints against another person, it's about choosing the right time. Maybe it's about being constructive too, but it's always about being loving and not merely using others as a receptacle for getting things off our chest. And a chain, you know, is always going to have some links that need strengthening because if one link breaks or goes, the chain breaks. If the Third toe on our left foot goes septic. The body limps. So it's about speaking and building others up. It's also about handling our feelings. We all get hurt from time to time. Sometimes we do the hurting, consciously or not. But untreated hurt. Untreated hurt is like sewage that becomes nauseating, then toxic. Hurt becomes anger, which becomes resentment, and ultimately bitterness. So acknowledging our hurts is key in finding ways of putting them off, never cultivating them or enjoying living in them. Don't let the devil take a foothold, Paul writes. It's about speaking, handling our feelings. The new self, the community of God, is one that exists, Paul writes, not by stealing from one another, but by working productively so we may share with those in need, in verse 28. I mean, let's not take ourselves off the hook too readily by taking stealing too literally. The chain strengthens when each link works to share its strength with one another. When we give to their mission, we strengthen what the Winchcombs do in Jordan. That's clear. We are a stronger chain as a result. And that chain may be strengthened by our giving, our service, our neighborliness, our sharing meals, sharing our homes, sharing good fortune, sharing resources, 
and the fruits of our labor. We work to share and strengthen the chain. And finally, it's about how we relate to one another. Angry, gossiping people who slag each other off all the time aren't going to stay a chain for very long. But kind, compassionate, forgiving people who share honestly and lovingly will draw closer and stronger. People who have found forgiveness themselves in Jesus Christ and recognize their moral duty to forgive each other. You see, as God, our creator, you know, the, the mind of Christ would look out at this congregation today and find, you know, 200 reasons for celebration and 100 more that are in children's groups. 300 individuals who in their new selves can be a transformed community of his making. So let me begin to wrap up here. God has a vision for a new humanity. Jesus came to bury Adam as a metaphor for self-interest over love of God. Jesus came that we might bury that bit of our old selves that resembles Adam. Jesus came that we might put on new selves, fresh minds, new worldview, where our beliefs and our behavior match. He came that we might have that for ourselves and that we might have that as a community of followers of Jesus. It's a completely different vision of how life together can be. I said at the beginning of this talk that I found out a bit this week in what could have been quite a difficult week about what it is to be a community in Christ. And I did. I found out that I was being prayed for in different places by, by different people, and I prayed for them. At morning prayer, I saw faithful people praying for those who they knew to be in need of God's strength. Unsolicited on numerous occasions, people offered to do things that might help or lighten each other's burdens. I found that when I was open to him, God equipped me to do my work swiftly and well. There were times of friendship and laughter that sustained me and others. As earlier in the week, someone shared to me feelings of bitterness towards another. I found a word I was able to share. And towards the end of the week, I was able to be a part of this community, helping someone to find their way through personal tragedy. God has a high ideal for us, a big vision for new humanity. Putting off, discarding the old, going to the checkout, putting on the new, and living in it, being transformed by it, and strengthening the chain of God's people. I pray that this is a challenge that we'll take up ourselves and as a church.